If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Old friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Welcome back to Fast Forward. Today we are talking all about personal branding. When you're building your company, it can be difficult to decide whether you're going to build your personal brand alongside that of your new business. And in fact, most often the profile of the founder, it gets overlooked. But your personal brand is one of the most valuable assets that you actually have control over. It can help you establish credibility, increase your influence, generate sales, attract partnership conversations and expand that professional network. So in short, a personal brand can help you find focus and achieve all of your company goals. Nikki Scrivener has more than 20 years experience in the PR, communications and crisis management industry. And that spans several sectors, including technology, retail, not-for-profit and professional services. Nikki co-founded Fourth Day PR back in 2002, which is now incredibly based in six countries around the world. Nikki is with me here today to give us some tips on how to build that positive personal brand. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, Nikki, we've just heard that you've been in the PR PR industry for uh, 20 years now. Can you take us uh, through that journey and how you have come to where you are today? Um, Well, I I suppose my journey started, I originally wanted to be a writer or a journalist. I've always enjoyed words and communication um, and I just sort of stumbled into a job at a PR agency <laughs> that happened um, to be a B2B technology agency. So from day one, I was writing about business-to-business software, something that I knew absolutely nothing about. I did an English degree, so yeah. I am not a techie. That's the first thing to say. <laughs> or you weren't a techie. I wasn't a techie, but immediately I just loved what technology can do. The way it changes people's lives, changes industries, businesses, Um, And so that's where my journey started, really. And then I moved to London um, to head up a a tech team um, in a B2B PR agency again. And then we, um, my business partner and I decided that let's take the leap. Let's do Mm. it for ourselves. And so we started fourth day. Was your business partner working with you in London at the time? Yes, we worked together in London. Um, She recruited me, actually. So she was my boss when I first moved to London. Um, And we have... um, been friends and partners um, in business ever since. Nice. Fantastic. And did you launch it back in Manchester? Were you both originally Northerners? No, no. it started in London. Okay. So it started purely as a, a boutique tech agency in London. 
And then um, our next office actually opened in Paris, and that was because um, a client came to <laughs> Paris, us. Paris, Manchester. You know, I mean. Where do you want to go next on our holidays? Um, so it was essentially that a That's client a said to us. That's a reasonable way to pick your office. Very strategic. <laughs> yeah. um, a client said to us, could, could you deliver the same service in Paris? And we happened to know somebody mm-hmm. that was looking to move agencies, and he was fantastic, and we hired him, and he's run our Paris office ever since. Um, so with Manchester... That was more a, a personal as well as a professional move in that um, my other half, he, he was relocated up here. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a case of do I commute back and forth to London and continue yeah. to run the business there with my partner or do I start an office here? And I just couldn't believe the opportunity up here in terms mm-hmm. of tech. Never look back. Uh, you know, it's a fantastic place to work in technology. Not many companies go from startup to international um, as their first step. That must have come with quite a few challenges for you at the time. Um, Talk to us a bit about those. It does come with some challenges, but also um, so does differentiating yourself in a competitive market. Mm. And and PR is a very competitive industry, even, even in tech specialism. So from quite an early stage, we thought the way that we could differentiate ourselves is by offering a boutique field service, but on a global basis. So, for example, if you're a Manchester tech startup that Mm -hmm. wants to do some business in the US, wants to raise their profile in Europe, you're going to have to find a significant budget to be able to work with a big global networked agency. What we wanted to offer was something where you could dip your toe into international markets by using us um, because we offer that small agency feel but global footprint. Yeah. That's That's our differentiator, really, and that's how we want to grow. It's really helping lower the barrier for technology businesses to get into those um, expert uh, international markets. But they just couldn't do it. And and US companies equally that were sort of in early growth phase, mm. they would come to the UK and they'd say, we want to do Europe, we want to do UK, France and Germany. Well, firstly, those are three very, very different territories. <laughs> you know, languages. particularly France, they do it <laughs> very differently there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you need an agency that understands the differences um, when it, in terms of communication in different markets. But, but, you know, you have to often pay big budgets for that. And we mm. thought that was a real barrier to companies looking to grow. Yeah, doesn't sound like you have looked back. No, not at all. <laughs> now, through the podcast, we have talked about building person, uh, building a brand and the do's and don'ts of marketing and things like that. Um, but for this episode, we wanted to really look at the power of the personal brand, which is something that's kind of slightly different. Um, I've mentioned in the introduction that some of the reasons why it's important. Um, but why do you think entrepreneurs should focus on it? I mean, uh, you know, as you highlighted at the beginning, there are huge um, positives to having your own personal brand. If you can have a relationship with journalists, for example, they can tell your story much more widely. Um, Similarly, briefing analysts. If you're speaking on panels or at events, then your clients and your prospects are seeing you. It can even help um, to open the door to investors. It can help you in terms of being a workplace brand. If people see you out there, then people might want to work for you. Um, it has huge, huge benefits, um, but it's not easy and not everyone feels confident in that position. Naturally, mm. extroverted people 
may, may absolutely thrive in that environment. For others, it's a real struggle to do yeah. that and put themselves forward. Yeah, well, I think some people would possibly rather die than do some Absolutely. kind of public speaking. Yeah. I've been there at the very beginning of my own journey. Um, but we listen, we, we see social influencers now, you know, the power that they have on it on Instagram, for example, just, just really see like the testament that a personal brand can be. Um, but how does a tech founder get started? How do they get started and grow on that personal brand for themselves? I think the key thing is, as we always say with the communication strategies, it's audience and focus, really. Um, CEOs don't have a huge amount of time to dedicate to promoting themselves as individuals. You know, they're trying to sell and manage. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would say the first thing is, who exactly is it that you're trying to reach? And what are the channels that you can engage with them best on? So that could be four or five media publications, you know, within your trade, within your region or nationally. That could be three key events a year that you could be potentially either attending or speaking at. That could be one award that you really want to win. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the key is to focus on it and just say, right, OK, I can't talk to everybody yeah. and I can't be everywhere. I think the other thing that I would say in terms of focus is when it comes to thought leadership and establishing your profile, Go for sort of two, three maximum things that you want to be known for um, and to build credibility within. Again, don't try and talk on every subject because one, you don't have time and two, that message won't necessarily resonate. Yeah. So just pick a couple gets of a things. Gets a bit noisy. Gets a bit noisy and, you know, what you really want to do is be really confident on a couple of subjects um, Put yourself forward constantly to speak on those topics. And then once you have built that credibility, people will then start coming back to you yeah. and asking you to do more. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, coming here three years ago, no one knew me. Nobody knew, you know, what kind of things that I was going to be able to do or talk about or or be able to deliver into the industry. But now I would say I've come around the other side and people would commonly come and talk to me about want me to come and talk about startups and the the ecosystem. Um, they'd want me to talk about women in tech or yeah. women in business or diversity and inclusion. Those would be the three areas that I think I've probably now sort of been identified with or my brand, I suppose, has been identified with. Um, exactly. And I don't know whether when you when you first arrived, whether you <laughs> just sort of threw yourself into everything, because I think that's sometimes a temptation yeah. is to, I'll just go to, ev- I mean, I know I did that when I first moved to Manchester. And I thought I'd go to every event. Yeah. Um, and then you, of course, you start reining that in yeah. over time and honing the ones that you really need to be at. And I think, um, you know, it's our job when we work with CEOs to help them identify, to, to sort of get through that bit and not yeah. have to go to everything. And it's our job really to try yeah. and help them to see which ones to focus on. I think it depends where they are sort of in their own development or how, what scale their business is at. You know, I was nobody, like Tech Manchester was just an idea. So it needed the sort of bits in the streets to go to everything and then sort of build that awareness and then start honing it down. But if you're, I suppose, if you're in a more established business, you can probably maybe sidestep that bit a little bit or someone can do that kind of research for you to yeah. help you kind of pare down where you think that you might be able to add value. And I think adding value is important. Yeah, well, I think you're right. And also... You know, it's interesting that you say at different stages of the business because when you're in startup phase, um, it, it can be a real bonus to help build your personal brand. I mean, often there's it's very indistinguishable between the CEO and the mm-hmm. company. Um, but as you, you go through the growth journey, it may be that the CEO wants to step back. It might be that the business is looking for an exit, in which case an over-reliance on one person mm-hmm. suddenly starts to 
be a bit have a negative. Yeah. So it, it, depending on which stage of your journey you're on, that might also depend on how how high you want your personal visibility to be. Yeah, it goes back to what we said at the very beginning, isn't it? Running, building the personal brand alongside the business one, because you don't forget about the business one either. I yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, how would one um, differentiate themselves in the marketplace? Because I suppose tech founders, you know, e-commerce, for example, how would an e-commerce tech founder maybe stand out from the crowd, particularly in Manchester, where there are many, many um, e-commerce online retail businesses who are all maybe clambering for the same kind of brand opportunities? How would somebody sort of set themselves aside? I mean, it is difficult when it's such a competitive market. But again, I'd come back to that focus and mm. I'm not trying to say everything to everybody. So again, picking those two things that you really want to be known for and being very, very confident on those topics. And also revealing part of yourself, but not too much. I mean, that's a really controversial issue when it comes to social media in particular. You know, how much how how much of yourself do you reveal on that on particular social media channels. I think it's important to be authentic and to be yourself, but equally um, it's a fine balance between professionalism and revealing Mm. too much of yourself, you know, sort of leave politics and religion out of it, for example. It is difficult, isn't it, that line between work and personal life? Um, I mean, I would use a lot of the social media channels probably more often than not for professional yeah. Um, you know, my Twitter would be professional, my Instagram possibly be a little blended, but it's generally the more kind of professional stuff that I would put on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, very personal, wouldn't accept, you know, people from a professional background onto it. It's purely there for family and friends and, yeah. you know, following more what they're doing rather than me actually ever getting around to putting anything on there. Yeah. But, um, you know, is it should you have two different types of personas? Should you have completely two separate social profiles? I mean, Colleen Rooney did it. She had her secret one, didn't she? Mm. Uh, her secret profile where she did her, I don't know, her PI work on that other bird who was... <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> releasing... The party, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that was, uh, you know, that's an interesting one because obviously uh, she was releasing personal stories about Colleen uh, and her family in the press, which mm. affected their personal brand and their value I suppose yeah. um, but was on her personal channel I fair played her for her PI, PI work <laughs> and hopefully she started a new side business off that but um, you know obviously that's something that Colleen had she had her public Colleen brand mm. Colleen brand and then her private one what are your thoughts on on that I think it's really it's really difficult and, yeah. and we, we do a lot of work with CEOs around this you know I could do a whole session just on this really because yeah. It comes down to um, the confidence of the CEO, how authentic and true to themselves they want to be on social media. But also, you know, the one thing I would say is the people that do it best, it might look like it's happening by accident, but it really doesn't. You Mm. know, I've seen and spoken to CEOs who um, carefully curate exactly the percentage of types of comments they put on social media. So, for example, they might say... So, for example, they might say... 30% 30% of what I share is going to be about our company. So mm-hmm. what we're doing within the company, news, 60% of what I share is going to be relevant content for my audience that's more uh, third Other party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 10% is going to be about me within these boundaries. Yeah. So you might um, you might see a social media feed and think, Really, they've got a really nice mix there. I don't know how they've done that. And do you know what? They've really thought about it. Yeah. 
Um, and you know, and do they do it themselves? Are they doing it, or is well, there someone doing it for them on their personal channels? What's that all about? Are people allowed to do that? The, are people um, allowed to? You know, so could I be? Could I be you? Could I be Nikki Scrivener on LinkedIn posting stuff, being you or not? Well, I think as long as the person that you are posting on behalf has agreed everything that mm-hmm. you're saying, um, otherwise, no, <laughs> no idea what the legal implications of that might be. I think that's called hijacking. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole other podcast coming yeah. up on that, folks. <laughs> but it's, but you know, it's what I would say is um, our temptation is to uh, just share things about our personal lives mm. um, at any time of day. And if you're one of those people that can't resist doing that, yeah. I'd suggest keep that separate. Yeah. But if you're somebody that can manage it quite carefully and say, do you know what? I'm not. These topics are out of bounds. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about that at all on social media. But you know what? I quite like football or I like cycling, so I might yeah. do ten percent of it. Might be about that about yeah. me. Yeah. I don't ten percent. I'm going to actually take that. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm actually going to go and look and see what I am. I the type of person that mindlessly share. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose I have to categorize. You know, tweets or posts or whatever that I've done over the last week and. Yeah, work it out. but it's also it's also that point of don't overshare your own yeah. company stuff. I mean, that's quite dull if you're I mean, constantly selling. I mean, we're awesome, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, yeah. that requires a bit of thought as well of not overdoing yeah. that. Yeah. And um, now you've run several highly successful media relations campaigns. Um, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about how do you deliver um, a successful media relations campaign. Delivering a good media relations campaign, I think, again, it comes down to focus. So mm-hmm. who it is that you want to reach? Because you can get 50 pieces of coverage, but if the wrong people are reading that coverage, it's irrelevant. Yeah. There's no point. It's, it's totally just noise. Yeah. Um, so I'd always say focus. So, um, you know, it's quality, not quantity in terms of a media relations campaign. Yeah. Um, understanding what makes a story is absolutely crucial and that's why you work with PR or comms people, I guess, in that it's very, very hard not to feel very precious about your own story. Mm. Um, But it's not always the one that's going to cut through. So so listen to people. Listen to the experts. Listen to the advice on that. Um, And then I think just be be creative in how you tell that story and get to know the right people that will tell that story for you because um, contacts are still absolutely key when it comes to media relations. Oh, so you mean like the channels that that story might come evolve or reveal itself? Well, know the yeah. right journalists and just, you know, never never try and sell a story into a journalist having never read anything they've written before. <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you laugh, yeah. but the amount, honestly, it's done so much. And this, But, you know, if you can... It sounds really basic, but even if you can speak to a journalist and say, I saw that you yeah. wrote about this, X. I've got an actually... I've got an interesting about angle y. on this. Yeah. yeah. Um, because you're actually trying to help them do their job. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that. Um, the other thing I would say that that people um, often just don't realise they can do is reactive media relations. So if a story breaks and you've got an angle on that story, mm-hmm. go and try and talk to somebody about it. You know, write a blog about it yeah. or tweet about it or contact your regional newspaper or your regional radio station and yeah. just... And just say, I, I'll put myself forward as a spokesperson. You know, especially if that ticks your box of these are the two or three things that I want to be known as. Yeah. So reactive media relations yeah. is a fantastic way to generate coverage. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. That's the probably how the little BBC Manchester radio um, 
video happened this week for me. They just contacted me on Twitter. They'd obviously seen some stuff that I'd done. Um, probably the little videos for this podcast, something yep, like that. Absolutely. Um, and that was where that was where that came. And I did a little sort of paste camera for on my phone, sent it across to them, and they banged it out in their social channels. So. And I tell you what, if you've done it once and it worked, and you were you got it to them on time, yeah, you were reasonably coherent and had something interesting to say. <laughs> well, they, they did put subtitles on there, Nikki. <laughs> Wasn't sure how to. I'm, I'm taking that down to being inclusive. <laughs> um, but they'll come back to you. That's the thing. And then uh, you know, yeah. Then you've established yourself, and yeah. they, all they're looking for is is people that are reliable. Yeah, um, can help them do yeah, whatever absolutely. they need to do. Yeah, we've heard that advice um, before from previous pre-journalists who said just make our lives easier. Absolutely. We have so yeah. much to read. So much content that they have to generate in such a short amount of time. Now, say that, right, we've we've generated our noise and we've generated it with focus and it's happening in all the right places. As a, as a business, as a founder, how do we then capitalise on that? And can we even measure it? Do we know how do we tie this, all this work that we're doing, this sort of more kind of intangible stuff that we're doing back mm. to sort of commercial impact on the business? Well, I mean, in terms of capitalising on it, I would say that once you've generated um, some coverage or won an award or had some engagement on social media, it doesn't just end there. And that's mm. that's often companies just celebrate that success and then it's gone. Yeah. But we always say, you know, that's there forever, really, particularly with so much digital coverage now. Yeah. So whether that's um, you're in a sales meeting and a, a question comes up and you can say, actually, I was talking to... X publication about that subject the other month. I'll send yeah. you the article on that. I mean, it's again, it sounds really basic, but it's things that people forget to do in order to make sure yeah. that that media coverage it's continues recycling to that. work for recycling them. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and you know, and that goes in terms of you know putting a newsletter together for customers and prospects. In terms of measurement, people always argue about the measurement of, <laughs> of PR. Um, you know, I think it's. It's quite difficult sometimes to measure a good reputation, mm-hmm. but it's it's quite easy to see the impact of a bad reputation and and no reputation at all. Yeah. So you're like who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. in terms of long term reputation of a business, having one is way better than not having one. Yeah. So you have to Some look at it. Into, yeah, exactly. And also, w- what we have to try and do is really try and make sure that our clients are feeding back to us anecdotal evidence about whether um, people have said to to a meeting, oh, I saw you speak on that panel or I read about you here. You know, sometimes that is sort of in our subconscious. We don't actually know how we've been influenced. We just know that overall we have a favourable opinion about this company and that's really important. Yeah. Um, but we do make slip-ups. Um, you know, we do have a bit of a cancel culture in this uh, in society now. I suppose it's because it's this instant um, gratification. You know, everybody's so switched on. It's like instant, you know, judgments being made. Um, you know, when people do make mistakes, um, is there ways to manage that? Obviously, you've got crisis management in your uh, in portfolio. Like, how would you advise for people to to manage that and sort of recover from those types of things? Yeah, I mean, we've we've done a lot of work on that. And again, that could be a whole conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think the, the, the most important thing at times of crisis are communication, um, authenticity and honesty and an ability to be humble if you need to be, and then a plan to move forward. Hmm. But one of the things that we, we try 
to advise clients to do is to be prepared in advance of any crisis. I mean, no one, no one wants a crisis to happen. No one expects a yeah. crisis to happen. Everybody um, just wants to, you know, crack on with whatever they're doing. No yeah. one wants to make mistakes. But um, these things do happen, and you'd be surprised at the amount of companies that don't have um, a chain of command in terms of how you yeah. would communicate if something like that happens. Um, what's our, our initial response going to be? How are we going to weigh up whether we do respond to this or whether we don't? Yeah. So we do a lot of work about around crisis management training, really, yeah. where you just you just put some mechanisms in place so that no one panics. Yeah, it's like the chimp paradox, like isn't it? Don't yeah. let the chimp take control. Exactly, exactly. Because it, when you're in a moment like that, um, that's when you're you're more likely to exacerbate yeah. the situation. Stress yeah. makes you, yeah. Um, but, but it, it is difficult. And also, you know, I will say we work, um, we work quite closely with um, defamation and, and reputation lawyers because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you've made a mistake and you need to own that and manage your way out of it. Sometimes the law is on your side. You know, the law will protect you, for mm. example, if there's defamation on social media. Yeah. Um, so do be aware that there are, you know, there is protection in yeah, place if it's unwarranted. Pathways in yeah. place, yeah. And it can happen to any, anybody. Like I seen on the news um, over the weekend, it was BBC came under a huge amount of criticism um, because they had flown out one of their main um, news readers, um, like one of the main news, but I don't know what his name was. Um, but obviously the Australia fires had, you know, been a, it's been a crisis that's evolved over the last couple of weeks. And yeah. initially the reporting was all been done by the local BBC worldwide news reporters. And then all of a sudden this big, you know, top name lands in and starts doing all the reports live, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, there was just a huge amount of criticism saying this, you know, this crisis what? is due to yeah. climate emergency and uh, and the and the environment. Yet the BBC thinks it's a, appropriate to then fly somebody halfway around the world to do a job that reporters on the ground were already doing, which yeah. is, was a fair, like, it's a fair point. Really fair. And they I didn't expect, actually handle it very no, well. No, well, this is the problem. I expect <laughs> they had a reason for that. Yeah but they possibly hadn't thought how to communicate should that question be asked, which yeah. you'd think yeah. somebody would have said. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Well, they did give a response, but I was like, oh, that's not really, that doesn't really help the situation. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. it's a really important story, so it needed a really important person was basically the reply. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. But also, you know, it's such yeah. a, that the, the bigger the organisation gets, yeah. the more people who are involved in that Decisions. crisis communications process. Yeah. So that's why... Um, you know, when you put a crisis management uh, plan in place, that's a skeleton amount of people that should be involved in that. Don't worry about everyone yeah. else, and just keep it to that core group so yeah. that it doesn't. Everyone doesn't have an opinion, and it, then it takes yeah. way too long to get the statement out. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I would say. Would you say you're an extrovert, Nikki? Nah, I'd say yeah. No, would you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you? I'm a middle. This, this is not. You know. I, I know, but like I've met you, easy. like I met you through networking, and you know you've always been really open and engaging. And I would say, yeah, you're an, an extrovert. I'm definitely an extrovert. I'm a oh, yellow no, according are. to yeah. colors. I'll talk to you know, uh, you know that door <laughs> <All this. laughs> if it would if it would listen to me. But we're not all extroverts. Introverts mm. um, lead businesses too, and there's some really well documented um, introverts that lead massive companies globally. Bill yeah. Gates, obviously, being one of them. Yep. Um, but personal branding for them can be a bit more difficult than it would be for people who are sort of more leaning towards the more extroversion um, side. What advice would you have for somebody that's having to manage that extra anxiety um, to achieve um, a somewhat painless 
um, personal branding experience? I know that you've been doing a lot of work in this area recently. Yeah, we're 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 actually just um, finalising a white paper on on the subject of personal reputation, um, and we've interviewed six um, tech CEOs alongside um, a journalist, mm-hmm. corporate finance <laughs> advisor, a reputation lawyer, just to get a three hundred and sixty view of what reputation means but also to look at um, how naturally it comes to some people and how difficult other people find it. I think, um, you know, we've we've interviewed people. Interestingly, a few people have said to us that they they treat this aspect of the role a bit like training muscle. Mm-hmm. So it feels very yeah. weak. It was really interesting <clears throat> that that came up more than once. Yeah. But they, it's something that they have to build up over time. So it might never come naturally to them. 99.9% of the time, though, people feel better after they've done it. Once yeah. they've put themselves out of their comfort zone, I mean, we all do, don't we? endorphins, we isn't it? It's like, yes. So all these hormones that are running around, exactly. like I find it hard to, before, it's particularly any kind of public speaking, this isn't so bad, I'm used to this now, um, but public speaking stuff, especially if I'm keynoting, um, the, my heart and just the adrenaline and everything, all the hormones that are pumping through my body, um, I find them hard to to hang on to. Yeah. Um, but that it's the afterwards, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you forget, you forget why you've been asked to do it, which is because <laughs> you know something that the people listening don't know mm-hmm. or could learn from. But you absolutely forget that in the moment, don't you? You just think, oh my god, I don't know why I'm here. I'm a yeah. complete charlatan. Um, I mean, everybody goes through that. Yeah. I think it's just some people are better at managing those feelings. Mm. Um, but it was interesting talking to some of these CEOs about that training of a muscle. So. Um, it could be that they set small goals like this year, I'm definitely going to speak on a panel, for example, they might yeah. say, or um, I will do two telephone interviews with journalists and they just set themselves small yeah. goals. Now, that's not to say that for some people it's just absolutely horrendous and they can't think of anything worse and they absolutely will not do it and they, they feel that it would jeopardise the corporate brand to put themselves forward. And I think in that case... You just find someone within the within the organisation that, that feels comfortable in that position, and and I think you know most people would understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a really interesting topic because um, we've been speaking to some journalists about it. The the fact that you often hear the stories from the extroverts because they're the people coming to you with the stories. They're the people mm-hmm. that feel confident over the phone. They'll do a face to face interview. So think about all those stories that we don't necessarily hear because people are afraid to put themselves forward. And I think it's such an interesting topic. Yeah. And it's, it's one we're going to explore a bit more in this paper. How do we find those introverts? We want to hear I their stories. We want to hear their stories. they will be different. Yeah. They will be very, very different stories. They will. And, and, and of the CEOs that we spoke to, a lot of them talked about, it's not about me, it's about the values of the organisation. So they wanted... They wanted the culture and the values mm-hmm. to be the rep to build the reputation, yeah. not them personally. Yeah. So there was a real sort of dissociation between themselves and what the the brand yeah. was trying to represent. And I just because, think that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's, like, how can you do that? Because it's built from your values and built from your. Yeah, don't know if you can separate. Did any of them that didn't like out and out refuse to do it? Did they talk about what their reflections were on that and how that had maybe? you know, how that had maybe impacted the company or did it work finding someone else? Yeah, mostly it did. I think I think there are people that feel regret that they can't do it. Mm. But equally, I mean, it's how much 
anxiety does something yeah. need to cause you do we need to fight all battles yes absolutely because <laughs> if you've got somebody within your management team that's actually chomping at the bit yeah. to do that loves it and you're fabulous at speaking to investors or you're fantastic at managing teams yeah or meeting customers, then then that's okay, isn't it? I mean, we, yeah. we say that about businesses anyway. I mean, you always bring people in that are better than you and have yeah. different skills to you. So um, I think I think that's absolutely fine. But what I will say, um, and again, with the journalist that we're speaking to, he was saying that, I mean, he's probably been a journalist for 30 years, there's only twice that anyone's ever Said not no. being good enough in an interview. Oh, right, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> What were they? We can, <laughs> you wouldn't tell me. But we love a good horror story Everybody on this could show. do it, even if you're shy. Like, everybody, because yeah. most CEOs know their stuff. Yeah. So everyone is capable of doing it. So again, it's, you and know. it's not like the journalist is trying to catch out. No. They're not trying no, to make absolutely. a mug out of you. <laughs> No, no, absolutely not. Have you heard about this new container research? What about that? Uh, yeah, well, no, what, because I like, work in retail. Yeah, yeah like is a container something you put margarine in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not people, by the way. <laughs> well, it is, but it's also something else to do with tech, which I don't quite know. Tied. But it is true. No one's trying to catch you out and most people can do it. But um, yeah, I'd say set yourself some little goals. Yeah. Pushing your, you train that muscle. That's it. Well, that's it. And January is gym time, confidence. so it's the time to set your goals. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we've all got them. Yeah. So not sure what my what would be my public speaking goal for this year, Nikki. What do you think it should be? I mean, what's the most people you've addressed in an audience? Uh, well, that was this year. So I did my first keynote this year, which wow. was about about 120 people. That was awful. <laughs> well, what's I suppose what's made yeah. you most scared that you've done? Um, well, because I did, I tried to do, I, well, I did successfully do it all pretty much from memory. So I didn't use notes. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, it was about 20 minute uh, talk. So I think probably getting better at that. That should be my goal for this yeah. year for my brand. And how would you feel like doing a live interview on TV? Is that something that you'd feel comfortable? I know that my, I know my nerve, I know my nerves would, I would just have to manage those that's better. the one then for you yeah. this year get you on telly okay on Live. the couch yeah. <laughs> I'd be like this Nikki Scrivener this is for you <laughs> what's my name again <laughs> uh, now we always like to end on some uh, top tips um, one will be read the white paper of course oh yes uh, which absolutely. we will include in the show notes Thank for you. you once you release it we'll update it with the show notes so keep an eye on that folks but what is your uh, key takeaway advice for anyone looking to build a positive personal brand a PBB okay I, I thought of a couple yeah. that I could share which we've really talked about anyway but um, decide what your outward persona is going to be really mm -hmm. and I know I don't want it to sound contrived when I was saying that it's all quite carefully managed but you do need to think about how everything you say yeah. reflects back on your brand so um, stay true to yourself but think about how and what you want to communicate um, and make sure that everything you say stays aligned to your brand's values basically mm -hmm. I think that's really important the focus that we've talked about so you know you can't talk to everyone about everything so who is it you want to reach where are they and yeah. how and what do you say to them um, and then you know that setting goals for training that muscle I yeah. think that's for the for the more introverted goals are good CEOs just pick a couple of things that is going to push you out of your comfort zone this year yeah. um, and say right I, I won't have achieved my goals unless I 
They could come on to this podcast, can they? they? Could. Those introverted yeah. CEOs. This would be a nice, safe place for them to share yeah, their stories. Not scary. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Nikki, I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat oh, it was lovely this to afternoon. Speak to you. And um, thank you so much for sharing your uh, expertise and insights into personal brand. Um, I hope that has helped uh, those of you who are looking at either starting that uh, personal brand journey or are in the middle of it and not sure what the next steps are to take. So whether you're an extrovert heading to your first live TV show um, or an introvert just taking your first step, um, hopefully on a podcast like this, um, we hope that uh, tips and advice have given you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you.